Welcome to Dare a New Belief, a place to discover what is possible for your life after the loss of a loved one, and where you will find inspiration, insight, support, and love, and hopefully a bit of laughter to help you through your day. Now, here's your host, Nada Hogan. Welcome to Dare a New Belief, where you will find light and life, love and joy, healing, faith, and hope a place where you get to believe in what is possible for your life. And today I have the great honor to be with Judy Jonah. Judy is a certified energy touch practitioner and a sound vibration healer. She practices in Bloomfield Township, Michigan. Loving the work that Judy does, she also loves learning how the divine within us can help us heal our own bodies souls, and spirits so that she can pass that on to her clients. I love that, Judy. Uh, Judy's passions are God, family, healing work, nature, and friends in that order. Although Judy's journey of healing started later in life, she has never looked back and couldn't be happier to know herself through her own eyes rather than through the eyes of others has been an absolute gift to her, and so she continues down the road of self-discovery to learn all that the universe offers, which she, in turn, can use to teach and help others. Thank you so much, Judy, for being here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Nada. I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. So, and reading your bio, I just, I love your bio, and this line, how you love learning how the divine within us can help us heal our own bodies, souls, and spirits. I love that, and we're going to delve into that, I'm sure, in this conversation. Um, But to start it off, to kick it off, um, I met Judy in October of 2019. We were both at a Alchemy Crystal Singing Bowl training in California. And while we were there, Judy and I started talking, and we just kind of hit it off. And um, from the very beginning, it just felt like we were friends for a very long time. And, and I'm just so blessed that you were at the same event that I was at, and we got to really, truly be friends. So while we were talking, Judy, Judy was sharing um, um, a trauma that happened with her son, and that is the basis of of this podcast when we're talking with Judy. So Judy, would you be willing to share with us the trauma that happened with your son, Jeffrey? Yes, I will. And I thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. And hopefully my experiences will resonate with some of your other listeners and, and hopefully help them in in the long run in the future. So what happened was it was a regular school day. This was 32 years ago. And I had three children and was pregnant with my fourth. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time and not having a good pregnancy, very ill. And my four-year-old said to me, I'm going to go outside and ride my bike and wait for Heather and Joey to come home, his older brother and sister. I said, okay. When they come home, you know, they'll come in and, and change and play with you. So I'm, uh, I was in the bathroom. I wasn't feeling well. I was, um, 
probably vomiting. I don't even remember, but I know that I was very sick that day. It was not an easy pregnancy from the very beginning. Anyhow, the kids came home. They came inside. They said, we're going to have a snack and change and go out and play with Jeffrey. And the next thing I knew, there was very hard, wild knocking at my back door. And I couldn't imagine what that was. And I went and there's these young teenage boys standing there saying, your son is stuck under the garage door. And Mm -hmm. I looked and there was Jeffrey face down uh, with a garage door across the back of his chest, his back across the back, just below his shoulders and blue. He was totally blue. I've heard that expression before when people lose their breath and they turn blue. He was literally blue. And the garage door was stuck. We couldn't get it up. I tried the auxiliary chain to see if we could pop it open. It was an electric garage door and it was very heavy. So these young teenagers pulled up on the door as hard as they could while I slid him out. I carried him in, laid him on the kitchen table and did CPR on Jeffrey. And uh, one of the teenagers quickly called 911 I had another one of the teenagers take the other two children because they were totally distraught across the street to a neighbor. And um, after doing CPR for a minute or two, he started coughing and moving around a little bit. And just when that happened, the EMS folks came in and took over and took him immediately to the hospital. It was uh, very, very traumatic to see your little one lying under a garage door and being helpless to pull him out. But somehow I had the wherewithal and I remembered CPR from high school to uh, do that for Jeffrey. So he went to a, the local hospital nearby. They said, we can't help him. We need to send him to a pediatric intensive care right away where they treat brain trauma. So he was airlifted by helicopter to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where there was Mott's Children's Hospital. And uh, we followed in the car. Now, I have the blessing of having a huge family, all loving and very supportive. And as soon as word got out that Jeffrey was in the hospital, this was while he was still at the hospital locally in our near our home, um, probably 20 people showed up to see what was going on and to see what they could do to help. So literally, as Jeffrey was airlifted to the hospital, there was a caravan of probably five or six cars that went out to Ann Arbor, took us about 45 minutes or an hour to get out there. And uh, they were already working on Jeffrey by the time we had arrived. So it was a whirlwind from there. Um, I barely remember those first few hours at Mott Hospital. They wouldn't really let us in to see him. They were all working on him, tons of tests. Um, they, of course, they put an IV and um, about, I'm gonna say five or six hours later, um, this is now probably 10 or 11 at night, the doctors came out to talk to us and they said, you know, we're not sure what's gonna happen. Um, most likely your son will die or he'll have a severe brain injury. And uh, my husband and I said, whoa, I mean, we weren't quite expecting that because I had, he was breathing when they took him, you know, in the helicopter, he was breathing and he was a little bit combative, which showed he was, had lost some brain cells. 
and he had lost, he had a loss of oxygen, but we were just beyond shocked. I mean, I'm getting a lump in my throat just thinking about it right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh God. A lot of testing went on. Um, you know, one neurologist came into the room and pinched his shoulder real hard and said, Jeffrey, what's your name? Or he said, what's your name? And Jeffrey answered Jeffrey. So right away, I'm thinking, okay, he's okay. Everything's going to be fine. He knows who he is. He's moving his arms and legs. He's going to be okay. But apparently in the loss of oxygen scenarios, brain cells die off slowly and they were still dying off. So as the days went on, he lost more and more and more function. So first he couldn't swallow and then he couldn't talk at all. And then he couldn't walk. And then his limbs started becoming dystonic where he would get, they would just get stuck. The muscles would freeze and he couldn't move and he would scream in pain because his muscles were stuck. And it was excruciating to see him like that. And oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Judy, can I just ask you a question in this? So how are you, how much time has gone by when this is happening, when his muscles are starting to freeze and, and he's not, this he's is not swallowing? It just, yeah, this is over the, probably the first week he was in ICU. Um, I'm going to say five or six days later, we started noticing the um, loss of function in his body. Oh, oh and, and how so, are you doing when this is happening with you? How are you? Are you just so much in a state of shock that it, that you just we, don't, it, yeah. yeah, we were both in shock. Um, we had, and thank, thankfully enough help for our other children to, to, you know, take care of them, get them to school, do what they needed. But it was extremely traumatic. I was having a tough pregnancy anyways, and it felt the whole time like someone had literally kicked me in the stomach. And I really just wanted to wake up. I wanted to walk away, and I wanted all this to go away, and I wanted to go back home and just play with my kids and have everything normal, of course. That's what happens yeah. when you have a trauma. You know, you can't, you can't turn back. You can't go back anymore. So it was a very, very difficult time. Um, my husband, you know, we stayed in Ann Arbor for about two weeks. We got a hotel room and we didn't leave Jeffrey. We took turns at his side and they wouldn't let anybody else in the room in ICU to see him. But a lot of family and friends came into the waiting room and brought food and, and kept us company and that kind of thing. And again, so thankful for a big family, a big loving family. It really made a difference then. And uh, then Jeffrey... Uh, was breathing on his own and there was nothing else they could do for him in ICU. They ran batteries of tests, EEGs and EKGs and trying to see what damage they did swallow tests to see if he could eat on his own, all kinds of things, test after test after test. And his condition continued to worsen over the next two weeks. So finally, they moved him out of ICU into a regular room. There were six other kids in the unit. So a lot of moms and babies and children in there that all supportive of each other, all looking at the other children saying, oh, maybe this isn't so bad. Look what's wrong with this poor child. So forged a lot of friendships, you know, in a time of distraught for not only me, but the other parents that were there in, in the room with Jeffrey. And then 
um, we came up with the schedule because we did have two other children that um, I would get them off to school in the morning and go to the hospital and Frank would come after work and stay there all night with him. And then we would repeat that every day. And then Saturdays and Sundays, we had a little bit of a break when family um, came to stay with Jeffrey in the hospital and we might, you know, have a break, go, go home, do something with our other kids. I had doctor's appointments and things because I was pregnant. So um, I was really also the whole time, Jeffrey, he was in the hospital for three and a half months in Ann Arbor and we lived about 40 minutes away. So I was really concerned about the baby my baby in utero yeah. because I was going through all this terrible stress. I kept asking the doctors. They, they all said, she's she, baby's going to be fine. We didn't know it was a girl at the time. They just said, baby's going to be fine. Baby's not going to remember. Baby's not going to know. You're going to love the baby. Everything will be okay. Yeah. And my other two yep. children and Frank were all also experiencing severe trauma about this. Um, yeah. We all blamed ourselves. The kid, the older kid said, oh, we should have brought him in with us when we went to eat. I said, oh, my God, I shouldn't have let him out there by himself. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, the guilt that all of us felt. Frank said, I knew that garage door was too heavy. I shouldn't have allowed that. You know, he's a builder. He built the home. It's, all of us blamed ourselves. So the guilt mm-hmm. and the trauma was overwhelming for our family. And it was just a, a miserable, horrible thing that. I would never wish any family ever had to go through. So after about three and a half months, the doctors said to us, there's really nothing more we can do for Jeffrey. They tried a lot of medications. Honestly, um, before we left the hospital, I asked them to wean him off everything. The side effects of the medications were causing so many problems for him. So, and then they would give him more medications to combat the side effects from the first medications. And it was a vicious circle and none of them were showing or offering any improvement. So before we left the hospital, he was weaned off of everything. And then getting home, it was just intense therapy for him. Four or five days a week, driving back to Ann Arbor with him, um, getting him fitted for wheelchairs and braces on his legs and, um, it was like I, my Jeffrey, my four-year-old son that I knew died, and I was bringing a stranger home from the hospital with me. Oh, God, love you, Judy. Please know I'm holding you. I am so sorry. Oh, my God, and you can just hear that in your voice. Oh, love. So now I'm just on autopilot, you know, just get, get yeah. through every day take them to therapies, take care of the other kids, make sure they get to school, get their homework done, try to keep them, their life somewhat normal. But it was a challenge. And I just kept swallowing my feelings and moving forward because I didn't know what else to do. There was, I mean, you just do what you have to do at the time things happen. So um, I had the baby. It was, that was also a challenge. I mean, she was a blessing. She was healthy. She was beautiful. And, and I was so happy to have her, but she also suffered a bit because from the time she was born, she came everywhere with me for Jeffrey. So if Jeffrey had physical therapy. She would be in a little sling on my back and Jeffrey would be in a wheelchair and we'd go to therapy. 
And this went on for months. This went on for years. Um, as Jeffrey got older and she got a little older, the therapies were less often. And he did start school. He had to go to special education school. And um, he had lost, you know, all, he, he wasn't talking. He wasn't walking. He was in a wheelchair. He was not, you know, he couldn't, he was wearing diapers again. He had been out of diapers before the accident. And all of that throughout Brianna's life, the baby, um, she grew up, that's all she knew. She didn't know him before the accident. And right. it was taking a toll on all of us. And one day my mom, God bless her with her wisdom, said to me, you know, Judy, you, you take him to music therapy. If you're taking Brie with you, she should sing too. Let her do music therapy too. And she said, I'll pay for it. Just let her do it too, because she can't just be dragged around and not have her own special time and special thing. If Jeffrey's yeah. going to the handicapped horseback riding program, you put her on a horse too. And so that's what we did. Oh. And uh, that helped a lot. That helped the, the little one a lot. But I still think to this day, and now she's 31, that she has you know, there's still some issues in her life from that time period when she was born or that when she was in the womb and I was feeling all that stress, there's no way to prove that. And, um, but in my mind, I'm certain that the challenges she has in her life now it, are from that, that time frame from Jeffrey's accident and from my feelings and from the stress she felt while she was still in utero. So Right. She's a fully functioning adult, very smart. She's got a good job. She works, but there's, she has some challenges in her life. So Jeffrey now throughout the years, he went to school in, in Michigan. He, um, the special education system where we lived happened to be very wonderful. They provided all the services for him in the public school. And then the education fight started with the planning. We wanted him to have some social life. We wanted him to be um, mainstreamed into the yeah. regular schools once in a while. And that he was low functioning and they said that that wouldn't work. But Jeffrey, although he couldn't speak, we felt like he could understand us and that he could read he used to watch a lot of uh, sing-along videos and the words would bounce along the bottom of the screen. And honestly, oh. I think he learned to read like that. He, wa he loved TV, watched a lot of TV when he was home with his you know, siblings. So um, Jeffrey is 36 right now, 36 years old. He'll be 37 in a few months. And he's still mentally at about a six-year-old level. He still is nonverbal, makes a lot of noise, but he doesn't speak. And he is ambulatory. He walks. He doesn't walk normally, but he walks. And he lives in a wonderful place, um, an organization called Angel's Place that provides group homes for developmentally disabled adults. And they have 21 homes in our area here, and that's where Jeffrey is right now. So needless to say, those times the the challenges from the time it started till now obviously it gets easier and easier as time goes on because the acceptance of what happened is, is easier to handle um i 
personally suffered a lot because I held all my feelings inside. When I was in the hospital, they had me seeing a therapist while I was there with Jeffrey every day during those three months. And I said to the therapist one time, I'm crying so much, I can't help it. I'm just distraught. And the therapist said to me, well, what good does that do your son crying all the time? So I I stopped crying and I just sucked it all in. And eventually over the years, it caught up with me. And the depression set in and the guilt was never ending. And and I spent a lot of years on myself trying to get over that because, you know, I, I saw several different therapists. None of them really resonated with me and didn't really nothing help until my sister, who is a special education um, teacher, she used to come in whenever we had school meetings because she knew all the state laws about um, disabled adult and or disabled children, and she could help me with the education planning for for Jeffrey. So one day she said to me, "Judy, you, Jeffrey is so happy. He's not happy the way you think he should be happy because you think he should be out there playing baseball and little league and you know taking music lessons and, and playing with his brother and sister." And, but he's happy. He's so loved. Look at him. He's always laughing. He's always smiling. He does everything with the family, goes everywhere with the family. It's not, you know, God didn't say we all had to be happy the same way. We don't all have to go to school and go to college and get married and, and have a wife and a house and a family. He does, he's going to be happy in his own way. And that Mm -hmm. is when the moment I started healing from all of that, realizing God makes us all so different and there is a reason this happened. And maybe Jeffrey had agreed to this before he came into his life, this lifetime, but it was, that was the moment that I started healing. And that was, Jeffrey was probably about 10 or 11 at the time when she said Uh, that. So, and it took, there was probably five or six years when I couldn't even tell people what happened or, or replay the, the incidents that happened that day of the accident was just too painful and I couldn't, I couldn't bear to to even talk about it. So very, very slowly I healed the, um, the kids healed. They, they, I ended up getting them some therapy help too. And Frank was a rock through the whole thing. He was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Judy. I, this is such a horrible time to, to start bringing this in for a landing and we are not even close to being done, but the time constraints that we're in, would you be willing to come back and continue this conversation with me? Because there's so much more to know. And, and of course we can't just leave it hanging like this. Would you be willing to come back? Of course, of course I will. Oh, and I want you to to know. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just holding you and the tears that have come into my eyes as you were talking and the pain and just feeling that mother's guilt and being pregnant and feeling everything that you were feeling. And of course, I'll never feel it the way that you felt it. Nobody could ever feel it the way you felt it. But just, oh, my goodness, you have such a powerful story. It's just such a powerful story. So uh, for all of the listeners, I want the listeners to know that um, all of Judy's information will be on the, in the show notes. So there will be no problem 
um, connecting with Judy. Um, Judy, if you want to just give them, like give the listeners a real quick, what's the easiest way to connect with you before we end this and, and um, invite you to come back to, to finish this up. This is the rockiest landing I think I've ever done. <laughs> okay. They can reach me by email. That would be the best way. And my email is Judy, J-U-D-Y dot Jonah, J-O-N-N-A 18 at gmail.com. That would be the easiest way to reach me. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Because Judy does phenomenal work. And we're going to talk about that more in part two. And of course, we're going to talk about this journey because like we're just right in the middle of this. Um, So God bless you. And uh, I just, (laughs) I know exactly why we became friends. And I want to thank you for being here with us um, and sharing your story and being so open and transparent and honest and courageous. This is, you're so courageous and I adore you. And I'm so grateful um, for you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Nada, for this opportunity. I so appreciate it. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. It's it's my biggest blessing. So for all of the listeners, uh, we're going to wrap up this show, but please know we're going to be doing part two next week. So you absolutely will want to turn in for that. So for all of the listeners out there, we know that there are many pieces of this story that have touched you and resonated with you. Um, and, I, and what a blessing it is to have Judy to share that with us. And we will be back next week for part two. So listeners, have a beautiful, blessed rest of your day. And thank you for being here. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please go to nadahogan.com for show notes and other information you can use right away. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our show. And don't forget to rate and review right there on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. We'll see you next week.